turn in your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 16, we're in verses 19 through 31, a story of hell, I uh, couldn't find any good worship songs about hell, so... uh, but that was my sermon topic, so I went the other direction, and we sang about heaven this morning. But uh, I did find some music by some uh, of our greatest theologians of the 20th century, the first one being ACDC. It's a joke. They're not good theologians. They had a song in, I don't know when it came out, probably late 70s, maybe early 80s, called Highway to Hell. And for fun, let me read you some of those lyrics. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell, highway to hell, I'm on the highway to hell. No stop signs, speed limit, nobody's going to slow me down like a wheel going to spin it, nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan paid my dues playing in a rock band. Mama, hey, Mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. Woo. It's the lyric. I'm on a highway to hell, I'm on the highway to hell, and then they sing a bit more. Don't stop me, I'm on the highway to hell. To hell. Now, uh, the question I had when I read the lyrics was this celebratory, yay, we're going to hell, or just merely self-awareness. This is where we're going to end up, so we might as well enjoy it while we're here. Lest you think it's just the evils of rock music that would come up with such a lyric, uh, here's some country music for you uh, by a gentleman, another great theologian, Hank Williams Jr., not senior. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, y'all familiar with this song? Raise your hand if you know it. Admit to, admit it, admit it. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I just as soon stay home. Uh, he talks about women. Uh, shook old Jim Beam's hand. If I never see the pearly gates, I've walked through the promised land. Um, if they don't have a grand old Opry like they do in Tennessee. Just send me to hell or New York City, it would be about the same to me. Now, that's some of our uh, modern music's uh, interpretation of what hell is. We have, as people, our, 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 just our own interpretation. We will flippantly make comments like some of us, not all of us, some of us will make comments like, go to hell, or we will say there's a special place in hell for this person, uh, depending on what they did. We need to understand that, at best, our culture is glib and flippant about hell. Let's assume Hank and Angus, Angus being the guy who wrote the song for ACDC, weren't desiring hell, but it was just, you know, they probably don't believe in it in the first place. So they're, they're glib and flippant. At best, that's what they are. At worst, our culture is in complete denial about the realities of hell. We're going to talk about that 
this morning. Now, understand as we go through this, work through this passage, that this is not a message to convince the lost. I hope it does. I hope this morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, that this message will convince you of your need for Jesus Christ and salvation through him. But that's not what this message is for. Some of you are sitting here right now thinking, boy, I'm glad he's preaching on hell. Uh, there are a lot of people here that need to hear it. You're right. It's you. You are the one I'm preaching this for. This message is to convince the saved that we need to do our part, that we need to be cured of our glibness and our flippancy when it comes to hell and its realities. And we have only one place in Scripture where we have a full description of someone's experience in hell, a parable by Jesus. So can we have the conversation? Is some of that language figurative? Sure, all parables are figurative. Uh, The language is always figurative. But what we do understand is that figurative language is there to convey truth. So we get the truth from the figurative language. And this is the only place. Now, Jesus talked about sheep and goats and what happens at judgment and those sorts of things. But no description in the Gospels, especially, of someone's experience in hell. We can go to Revelation and we can read about folks being thrown in to the lake of fire and those uh, sorts of things. But this is our fullest Account. So read with me Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Jesus giving a little foreshadowing there of how people would respond to his own resurrection. There's a lot here we could look at, uh, we could uh, discuss, and there will be a time for this discuss the, 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 the things the rich man was involved in, the, the, the discrepancy between the two. The, the parable is actually about love of money. Uh, it's coming off the heels of a couple of other parables where Jesus is describing the Pharisees' love for money. As a matter of fact, it says that in uh, just a few verses up. 
Those are some very real and important points for us to get, but those are not the points we're going to make today. We're going to look at, particularly this morning, first, the realities of hell. Broad point with a number of sub-points underneath it. The realities of hell that we see as Jesus describes the rich man's We don't even know his name. We know the poor man's name. We don't even know the rich man's name. As Jesus describes the rich man's time in hell. First thing we see about hell, first reality of hell, is that hell is a place of pain. We see that in verses 23 and 24. He says, and being in torment in Hades, he says. And then in verse uh, 24, I am in agony in this flame. There is pain in hell. Other places, the the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about where the worm and the flame never die. He does not describe, no description of hell is ever a comfortable one. It is always a place of pain. Uh, The two words that he uses here, torment is the first one. Initially, when this word was used in the Greek, it was uh, the... the, uh, the, the touchstone, the, the stone that was used to test the purity of gold. You would have a stone of slate and you would scrape the uh, gold that you were trying to test on there and then you would take some gold that you knew the purity of and you would scrape it next to it and you would use acid. You can still do this today. You use various strengths of acid and you knew based on what the uh, reaction of the gold to the acid was uh, what the purity level of the gold was. It tested carat, 10 carat, 14 carat, 18, 24, those sorts of, sorts of things. But you get the image of this stone that was uh, impervious to everything around it, but was there to cause um, a reaction of, uh, on what was put on it. This agony, or rather this torment then, was the stone that people were put on to test them, to test their purity. You get that image of torment, but later on, the word used for torment here was used of the rack to torture people. And I didn't give you a picture. I didn't think that would be necessary, but the rack was where you would have your wrists and your ankles tied to ropes, and you would be laid on a table, and those ropes would be tied to pulleys uh, on each end, and you would turn, somebody would turn this side, uh, this end, and somebody would turn this end, and it would just slowly pull you apart. Certainly pull your joints out of socket. So we get a very graphic image of the torment that the rich man was going through in, in hell. We also see the word agony. This is a passive verb. This is, means it was being done to him. He was experiencing, the, it, the, uh, experiencing it, but it was being done to him. Very clear description of punishment. Hell is a place of pain. We also see that hell is a place of isolation. We see that again in verse 23. Being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off. We have this idea that hell will be a, uh, a congregation of bad people. That in heaven, 
the good people get to go and, or, or even the saved people get to go and we'll be with our friends and, and, and everybody, we get to see our loved ones, but everybody in hell has to be there with all the bad people and that's their punishment. No, we see a place of isolation. He looked and saw Abraham a long way off. Mark Twain was confused about it. Mark Twain said, uh, heaven for climate, hell for society. That was his idea of the two extremes. It'd be nicer in heaven, but I'll go to hell for the people. ACDC said in their lyrics, my friends are going to be there too, right? We have this ignorant uh, 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 knowledge of hell. They were wrong. They were dead wrong about what hell would be like. It could be that the rich man in hell just knew that no one could help him. And that's why he called out to Lazarus that he saw a long way off. He knew that all these jokers around me, they're in the same predicament I am, uh, I'm in, so they can't help me, help me. <laughs> but regardless, he wasn't calling out to them, was he? He wasn't looking for his buddy over here and his buddy over there and old so-and-so that I figured he'd be down here. You know, he wasn't looking for them because he wasn't looking for them uh, for to them for help. This is actually part of the torment, isolation. It's awareness of the presence of others, but no camaraderie or comfort from their presence. An awareness of where you could have been, but now where you are. See, in hell, you aren't by yourself, but you are alone. And some people like to be alone. I do. I, I, I like to be alone sometimes. It just, that's just me. That's my personality. Not this kind of alone. This is an eternal alone. Hell is a place, a, a place of isolation. Number three, hell is a place of sadness. 25 and 26, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted while you are in agony. Those, from, those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. It's hard to read those words spoken by Abraham in our parable, told to this man in hell, and imagine a response of joy on the part of the rich man. I think the opposite is true. The sadness at hearing what the truth of his situation now really is. Another word uh, other than sadness might be regret. Regret, sadness. This is my lot now. This is where I am. This is where I will be. Dante, in his Divine Comedy, describing the various levels of hell uh, had above one door written, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That's where the sadness derives from. There is no hope in hell. There's no hope of a quenched thirst. There's no hope of a, a warm embrace. There's no hope of rescue. There's no hope of a change in situation. And so, there's sadness in hell. Number four, hell is a place of separation. Verse 26, Abraham says, Besides all this, 
A great chasm has been fixed between us and you. That chasm has been fixed. It is a great chasm. It is a large, long, large distance. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, you get the idea of what a great chasm can look like and how uh, uncrossable that chasm can I know people do it. They hike down in it, but it ain't easy. Well, this is a chasm that is equally large, equally uh, 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 obtrusive, equally awe-inspiring that cannot be crossed. It is a great chasm. Here's the lack of hope. Here is the sadness. There will be no crossing to the other side. There is no chance of bridging the chasm. And that chasm separates people in heaven from people in hell. And there's no crossing it. See, in this parable, the rich man knew his separation from Lazarus. Go back to the sadness. He saw what could have been. He saw what he gave up in his previous life because of decisions that he made. But more devastating than separating people in heaven from people in hell, that chasm separates people in hell from God. That is the ultimate separation. That is the worst separation. As a matter of fact, death, as defined in Scripture, is separation from God. Death is not just, and I should say even not merely, the death of this body. Death, as a punishment in Eden, was not just that the body would not live on, though that was part of it. Death was separation from God. You no longer, because of sin, have a relationship with God. Now, Jesus had a way to fix that. That was his plan. Uh, God had a way to fix that. Jesus was his plan to do so. And you can restore that relationship. And we will still die physically, but we will never experience separation from God in death. But without Christ, death is separation from God. I say it every funeral I preach at. Jesus overcomes death, not physical death. In most every funeral I've done, there's been a glaring example of that fact. Physical death was not overcome. But separation from God, spiritual death, is conquered on the cross, was conquered on the cross. Jesus has overcome that. But hell is a place of separation. Number five. Hell is eternal. Verse 26 says not just that it's a great chasm, but that that chasm has been fixed. Has been fixed. Not changing it. No alteration to that chasm. That has been fixed, or that word fixed, is the same word Jesus uses, uh, that Luke uses when Jesus says he fixed his face toward Jerusalem. It is a certainty. It is a done deal. It is going to happen. There's no changing that anymore. The chasm between people in hell and people in heaven, the chasm between people in hell and God is fixed and eternal, and nothing will ever have the power to change it. It's appointed to man to die once, and then the judgment. 
you're judged immediately upon death. Salvation through Jesus Christ or eternal judgment, eternal punishment because of your rejection of him. That happens at death. And hell is eternal. And I know we can't wrap our minds around that. It is so outside of our ability to comprehend eternity. But that is what's next. This is temporal. Past death is eternal. Everyone who has ever been alive is still alive. Their bodies aren't, but their souls, their spirits, are spending eternity somewhere. Everyone who has ever been alive is currently alive in heaven or hell. Now, not, let me say this right now, not the streets of gold and those sorts of things that we read about in Revelation. That's the new heaven and the new earth, and those are a different thing. We don't have a descriptor of where people are now that have gone to heaven. We have some imagery here about comfort uh, for, this, uh, for Lazarus at, at the, at, in the arms of Abraham. We have uh, Paul who said, I went to the third heaven and I saw it, and I ain't going to tell you all what I saw. It's too great. And you'll see it when you get there. But we're not talking about those things. And we're not talking about the lake of fire and those sorts of things. And also in Revelation that are talking about the consummation of all things. What we are talking about now is a heaven and a hell that we spend uh, the rest of, uh, we spend a portion of eternity, eternity in until Jesus comes back and rectifies all things. Everybody who has ever been alive is at one of those two places. Not only that. But everyone who is currently alive will live forever and spend somewhere in eternity. Bodies die. Souls don't. And we will spend eternity somewhere. Your family, your friends, your loved ones, people you don't love, people you've never heard of, will spend an eternity somewhere. Heaven or hell. The gravity of that should crush us. The gravity of our responsibility should motivate us. And lastly, hell is a place of fear. Verse 28, the rich man says a few things. He says, warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Warn my five brothers he's talking about. Uh, Warn them. The rich man wanted someone quite literally to scare the hell out of his brothers. And rightfully so. If a dead man comes back and tells you, you don't want to go to hell, that's going to scare the idea that hell's not a big deal out of you. Well, of course, the problem is, if a dead man came back from the grave, people still wouldn't follow him, would they? Because he did. And they don't. And they ignore the warnings. They ignore the offer for salvation. The, the realization of the other five realities that we've talked about, the, the, the fact that it's eternal and it's a place of separation and a place of sadness and a place of isolation and a place of pain, those things, those realities about hell should instill incredible fear for us before we ever get there, but there is fear while you are there too. Imagine knowing that that was your eternity, torment and agony and separation and pain and sadness. That was your eternity, and there was nothing you could do about it. You can see people, but you can't be comforted. You can maybe even hear people, 
but there's no joy in the sound. And eternity in hell is a fearful place. The, the, the truth about hell for us today, especially, no, primarily as believers, should cause caution lights to flash like the lights when we know the lane has changed on the 210 bridge and, oh, we got to shift one way or the other. i got to slow down. i got to be careful here. But no, that's just caution. That's just concern. The, 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 the reaction we should have is when we see those flashing blue lights behind you. Whether you've done anything or not, your heart leaps to your throat, doesn't it? Because your first thought is, what did I do? Was I going too fast? Did I not use my blinker? Do I have a tail light out? What did I do? He's right behind you, and there is fear instantly. These should cause us, these uh, realizations about hell should cause fear for our friends and our family, our loved ones, and people we don't like. For their eternity in hell. But lest you think this is just a horribly negative sermon, wow, it's all about hell and how bad hell is, Got anything positive? Yeah, I got seven good things about hell. Seven good realities, good things about hell. Number one, good people are in hell. Verse 20, we get a little more information about, very little actually, uh, information about either of them. But Verse 20 says, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. Now, we, we see something uh, uh, about uh, the, the rich man, he was dressed in purple. You were wealthy if you dressed in white. You were extremely wealthy if you dressed in purple. You were wealthy if you feasted occasionally. You were extremely wealthy if you feasted every day, and that's what this man did. But we don't have any indication that the rich man did anything except not care. We, we don't have that he was a bad person. As a matter of fact, we don't see that he got his money in an ill-gotten way. Uh, it was an ill-gotten gain, though this was extreme affluence. We don't see any sort of mistreatment of Lazarus. It doesn't say in every day he walked by and kicked Lazarus and called him names. We don't see anything like that. On the contrary, let me ask what you would do. If you go home this afternoon and there's a homeless person sitting by your mailbox, what are you going to do? Most of us, the really good ones in here won't do this, most of us are going to call the police. Because you don't know what he's going to do, right? You don't have to nod. I know I'm right. We'd call the police. You can't sit there. You can't sit at my driveway. You can't do that. Well, this man... The rich man allowed Lazarus to sit as his, at his gate. As a matter of fact, he would have been considered good in that day because he did. He didn't kick Lazarus away. Uh, the, the Johnny Hunt, who originally preached this message, used the example of Halloween. And when he was a kid, the neighborhood he lived in, they knew nobody in that neighborhood had candy. So they all, all go to the rich neighborhood to go door to door to get candy. Because they knew they'd get candy there. Why? They were rich. Same reason, it, it appears, it, 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 verse 20 uh, it says that he was set at the gate. It appears that Lazarus may not have been able to go anywhere else. He was, uh, it, he was possibly lame 
in some way. So he was put there, and Lazarus was okay with it. We would have called him a good man because he let him do that. By allowing Lazarus to sit at his gate, most of us would call the rich man good. We don't have anything bad about him. Good people are in hell. As a matter of fact, in this culture, his blessing of wealth would have made everybody around him believe he was good, he, that God had favored him, therefore he was good. He's rich, he must be good. Lazarus is poor, maybe lame. Well, he's the one that did something to deserve that. Remember the question that the disciples asked, about a, asked Jesus about a lame man who, or a, a blind man? Uh, who sinned that this man was born blind, his parents or him? That was the assumption. Everybody would have said, this rich man is a good man. And yet, good people are in hell. Second good thing about hell is there is good vision in hell. He looked, the rich man did in verse 23, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off and Lazarus was at his side. He had great vision now. He saw with such clarity what could have been. He saw what he missed out on. He saw that he could have been where Lazarus was, but instead he was where he was. He no doubt saw his past. He knew about his father's house and his brothers and the fact that they needed to be told about this. He saw his past. He saw his future. He knew the chasm was there and it would not be bridged and it would not go away. And he saw his family's future. If my brothers don't hear about this, they will come to the same place. He saw wonderfully. His vision was good, but it wasn't necessarily good to have, was it? Not everything that's good is good to have. He had good vision. Third, there are good prayers in hell. Verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, the rich man says. This is a prayer of realization and a prayer of repentance. Have mercy. I was wrong. I realize that now. The irony, the sad irony is that if this prayer for mercy had been prayed while he was alive, it would have changed his eternity. There are good prayers in hell. There are prayers for the flame to go out. There are prayers for the agony to end. There are prayers for God to save us. And yet those prayers go unanswered. Verse 27, Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house to save my five brothers. This is a prayer for the lost. There are few prayers that we can pray that are more important and more powerful. This is a prayer for our one. For our family, this is a good prayer in hell. But as Tom said at the beginning of the service, our prayer is not just that our one would be saved. Our prayer is that we would have the opportunity to share the gospel. That is our prayer. That is our goal with who's your one. There are good prayers in hell. Fourth good thing, there is good memory in hell. 25, verse 25, son. Abraham said, remember that during your life, remember all the things that you did. Remember what was going on in your life. Consciousness, memory, and awareness are all in hell. He knew he was in pain because he remembered what pain was. 
He knew what he, he knew he was alone, but he, because he remembered what it was to be around people. He knew what he had done long before Abraham reminded him. Somebody here today, very likely, somebody maybe in this room, maybe there's somebody that will watch this sermon later on, and you may never, I'll go ahead and say will, you will never choose to follow Jesus. And you may live 80, 90 years total, that may be 30 years from now, that may be 70 years from now. You will never choose to follow Jesus, and if you don't, you will go to hell, and in hell, you will remember this sermon. This sermon will be an ache on your memory. I heard the message. I knew about this, and I did not respond. You'll remember every time you said, not now, Jesus. I've got other things I want to do. I can't give you everything right now. I can't do this. Most people aren't angry at Jesus. They just don't want to bother it's a passive rejection much more than an active rejection. There are those who actively reject. Most people who reject the gospel reject passively. I'll do it later. I'll do it some other time. There is good memory because you will remember every gospel presentation. You'll remember every time a loved one begged you through tears to accept Christ. And you turned that message and that person away. There is good memory in hell. There is good theology in hell. Verses 24, 27, 28, 30, just snippets on the screen. He called out, have mercy on me. Father, he said, then I beg you, warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Verse 30, they will repent. See, he understood at this point a great theology of mercy. He understood now what he didn't understand about God then, that God wants to forgive, that God is merciful, that mercy is offered at the cross. He had a great theology now that he was in hell. He had a great theology of prayer that we just discussed. They know prayer is communication with God. They know there is power in prayer. They know that God will answer. In this case, the answer is no. But he knew God will answer this prayer. There is a great theology of evangelism in hell. Everyone in hell knows at this point there is that in order for someone to respond to God's gift of mercy, someone has to tell them about it. They understand the theology of evangelism. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they hear if we don't go? How will they hear if we don't tell? People in hell get it now. People in hell have a perfect theology of salvation they know just like in verse 30 when he says then they will repent he knows to avoid hell we must repent salvation comes from repentance it's good theology of salvation in hell and all of this good theology comes most of this good theology comes from memory as a matter of fact there will also be perfect worship in hell philippians 2 10 through 11 says, So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person in hell will confess Jesus is Lord, but it won't be unto salvation. 
It will be unto an eternity of separation. It will be as a result of their realization too late that they could have had Christ. Number six, good intention, our good priorities in hell. There are good priorities in hell. 27, 28, 30. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. This stems from that good theology of evangelism. People in hell believe in the importance of evangelism. They believe in the importance of someone going and telling someone who doesn't know about Jesus Christ to tell them about Jesus Christ. They want someone to knock on doors. They want this surprise visit. People in hell do want someone to go knock on a door when that person isn't expecting it. They certainly would not have been expecting a dead person to come back especially a dead, lame beggar to come back to tell them about the reality of hell. Yet that's what this man was asking for. People in hell believe in the importance of evangelism. They finally have their priorities straight, but it is too late. First Baptist Church, let's be at least as concerned about lostness as people in hell are. Will we be put to shame by the vigor, by the desire of dead, eternally judged people in hell and their need, their desire to see their family saved when we could care less, or couldn't, apparently, care less? Will we be put to shame by dead people? People in hell, in hell care more about our family's salvation than we do. Lastly, good intentions are in hell. Verse 19 tells us, again, just to, to reiterate, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. We see no outright rejection of God here. We don't see anything, uh, uh, we don't see that, uh, that uh, desired rejection of God. We don't see a man who seems intent to suffer in, uh, for eternity. We just see someone who probably intended to do it later, intended to get things right, intended to, well, let me get my life straight, well, let me get enough stuff, well, let me find the perfect time, let me, well, let me, well, let me. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's a reason that's a phrase. Because the good intentions get us there as quickly and as easily as poor intentions. This, this point right here, good intentions, is for someone this morning. You think you have time, but you don't. You think you have plenty of time to turn to God. I'll take care of that. You don't have time. You don't have plenty of of time you are not guaranteed don't you know that today your life will be demanded of you today is the day of salvation apathy procrastination indifference ignorance those are all ways we put off 
making a decision. As I said earlier, you are passively rejecting Jesus. Passively. You're not actively doing it. You're just, well, I will, but not right now. You are passively rejecting Jesus, and hell is just as sure for you, whether you actively or passively reject him. So the question this morning, if Jesus won't allow dead people to come back and warn people about hell, then who's going to warn them? Whose responsibility is it? If it's not dead people in hell's responsibility, then it must be living, saved people's responsibility. Three circles is a way we've tried to give you tools. Two, two more tools, well, small tools. I meant to mention these last week and I forgot. On the Connection Center, we have invite cards. has our uh, service times on the back, some uh, contact information for the, for the church. Um, one is a fall-specific invite card. One is just generic. If you can't do anything else, give somebody a card and say, I'd love to have you come to church. That's not evangelism. That's not telling people about Jesus. But it is something. Do something. And then this morning, during our invitation time, the ping pong balls up here. Uh, I want you to come forward. If you have a one that you are praying for, that you are praying that you will have the opportunity to share the gospel with, I want you to come up here and get a ping pong ball and drop it in one of these two vases. What we're going to do over the next few months is as you share the gospel, as you have opportunity to share the gospel, we will have, excuse me, we will have another vase for us to put that Put your, take your ping pong ball from the I'm praying for to the I shared the gospel with jar. Not names on it, not, uh, not anything like that, just the ball. And then when we have people to celebrate that they have come to Christ because of our witness, we move that ball to a third vase. We're going to keep a visual of who we're praying for, who we're witnessing to, and who is coming to Christ. So during the invitation, I want you to come, if you have someone that you're praying for, and place that ball in there. One last point about hell. Though an eternity in hell awaits those who have not accepted Christ, though that is the sure destination of everyone estranged from God, hell was not prepared for us. Hell was not prepared for people. That is the destination of all who will not believe, but that was not what it was for. That was not God's design. God's design was perfection. God's design was a, an, a, an open, beautiful, perfect relationship. In the Garden of Eden, when he created Adam and Eve, that was what he wanted. But invariably, we go our own way. We make our own choices. And to go against God's design is sin. And Adam and Eve sinned, and we sinned. And that led to brokenness that led us to then having hell as our destination without Christ. And there's no fix for the brokenness outside of the gospel. There's no fix for our sin outside of the fact that Jesus, perfect son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and my sins, taking our punishment and taking our sin, 
and then three days later rose from the grave to prove his power over sin and death. If we repent of our sins and believe the gospel, believe Jesus is who he says he is, then we will then be able to uh, recover and pursue God's design in our lives. We will then want our friends and our family to know the salvation that we have. He will empower us to share. He will give us our one. And we will see a future and eternity of joy with our loved ones. Pray with me. Father, thank you that your scripture is clear about what awaits us. That your scripture is clear about our our eternity, both our eternity through Jesus Christ and our eternity without him. Lord, may this message, I pray it wakes up someone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that this is the day of their salvation, that they don't want such an eternity. But as much as I pray for that, Lord, I pray that we as believers, that I as a believer will let this knowledge of hell propel me to share the gospel with those who need it. Lord, may I have more concern about people going to hell than people who are in hell have. And we know that they wish they could change their family's mind. God, move on our hearts today in this time of of reflection, this time of response. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to stand and sing, and if you'd like to discuss salvation a little bit more, Tom will be over here, I'll be over there to my left. We would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you just want to come and pray at this altar, pray for your one. Pray for who? uh, Pray that God will give you a one. But the rest of you, come this morning and pick up a representation of your one and drop it in here as we sing and as we do business with God.